Hello, it's Paul Scott here, a UK small cap specialist. Um, as usual, this is my weekly podcast where I cover um, a sub- weekly summary of what we've covered in the Stockopedia small cap value reports this week. We're certainly not winding down, down for Christmas yet because I think we've covered a new record this week. We've actually reviewed 42 companies. Now what we do, the format, as I've mentioned before, if you're not a subscriber on Stockopedia, is that we it's driven by, our reports are driven by the daily news flow. So we're re- reviewing trading updates and results statements. So they're not tips when they're not recommendations we just actually go through um, the RNS each morning for results and trading updates and occasionally anything else uh, if it looks to be significant and then we just chuck a whole load of share ideas at you with our opinions um, with the idea being for it's then your job to do more research on anything that you sound that you like the sound of that wasn't a very good introduction, was it? Was it too many ums and ers? So, uh, but I'm not going to re- re-record it. Let's just plow on. Okay, Monday's report: Fulcrum FCRM. Now, this is one where it's basically the, the equity is now more or less worthless. Um, the funding they did flag up in October, which I prominently flagged in the small cap value reports at the time, that it was now looking for additional funding from its major shareholders. That was it was an immediate sell on that announcement in October, which I did personally. Personally, I dumped my shares. I think I got 3.8 pence for them. Because whenever something's run out of cash and says it needs to raise money from its shareholders, and one of its uh, uh, top shareholders is Christopher Mills at Harvard Capital, it's pretty likely that you're going to get stuffed. And that's exactly what's happened. On 5th of December, um, a convertible loan of up to £6 million was announced. And the conversion price is a maximum, maximum of 0.5 pence. And the shares were three point four pence in the in the market. So as I said in 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 Monday's report, just sell them on the on the opening bell. Get out. It hasn't worked. Um, that's the way it is. Let's move on. And I should say this is really the worst place in the market to be in some sort of small or micro cap that's run out of money, needs to raise fresh money or needs to renew bank facilities when it's missed all its forecasts and so on. These are the things that are are most um, at risk. You can get horrible, hideous dilution, as happened with Fulcrum. I think they're going to quadruple or quintuple the number of shares potentially. uh, And all the new ones are being going to be issued at 0.5 pence or less. So it's a complete waste of time now. I would forget about Fulcrum, probably only a matter of time before Christopher Mills delists it as well. So it hasn't worked. So we've really got to avoid similar things. So anything that's going to need a cash raise in the next year, I just wouldn't touch anything um, because the odds are so stacked against you. What else did I look at? Equals. Now, this is very interesting. EQLS. The share price has done tremendously well. It keeps putting out positive trading updates. We had another one on Monday. Uh, it's uh, f- foreign exchange services business saying uh, the forecasts for calendar 22 are now likely to be beaten about 10% at the revenues line, which could drop through quite nicely to profits because of the high margins. Um, I do have some um, caveats on this one, on the concerns on the accounts. I noticed there's a very large uh, 
capitalised development spending that bypasses the P&L. So that obviously renders EBITDA completely meaningless. There's also um, adjustments to the profit, which turn a, an adjusted profit of about 10 million into a statutory profit of about 3 million, I think, off the top of my head. So those are such big adjustments that I think you really need to be sure that you're happy with those adjustments. Um, but the underlying business looks to be doing very well. It's not cheap now, about 174 million market cap, I think. Let's have a scroll down. You might be able to hear a slight tapping noise. That's the touchpad on my laptop, which is near the microphone. Yeah, here we are, 174 million market cap. There's a lot of interest in this share amongst readers and uh, other small cap investors, because it's been in a, a really impressive bull run for three years now. Um, as I say, I do think you need to get your head around those accounting adjustments to make sure that you're happy with this one. I'd also like to have a firmer grasp on what the what the company's key point of difference is. Um, so I need to do a bit more work on that. But um, certainly at the on on a superficial level, the uh, the news flow from the company is very good. On Monday, we also had a profit warning from RGP Holdings. This is uh, R RBGP is the ticker. It's rather complicated, isn't it? Where companies use have lots of letters that sound the same. Uh, now, this is an interesting one. It's one of these legal services business uh, businesses. Um, now, the core business section is actually trading fine. Rosenblatt and Memory Crystal legal firms and also another firm called Convex. Now, put together, it says these have traded marginally ahead of expectations. So that's fine. But the uh, problem division is um, a litigation litigation finance business startup called Lionfish. Um and it's lost two big cases, so that's going to hit profits by about four million pounds. Now they're saying uh, most of that is non-cash, so in other words, it's own internal costs which they were hoping to make a profit on, which now have to be written off. So that looks as if that division will generate a loss of about one point seven million this calendar year. So. <clears throat> It depends how you look at this. In a way, I quite like profit warnings where it's ring fenced in one particular division with a specific problem as which should be resolvable. So that's that's really the upside case on RGB, uh, RBGP. Um, that this lionfish, it sounds reading between the lines as if they might even start winding down the lionfish litigation finance. I'm not keen on litigation finance businesses anyway. They're too unpredictable. And it sounds as if maybe they don't really know what they're doing in that space. So it'd probably be better if they did get rid of it. So the resulting valuation of the company, I think, looks probably about right at around 67p. It tried to bounce during the week, but it didn't really stick. Uh, sellers came back in. Uh, it's on a currently a PE of 11.5. I think it's difficult to really justify anything higher than that. So I noticed that the CEO, Nicola... Oh, I can't remember her surname. She uh, weighed in with two fairly hefty purchases of shares personally. I think that looks good. She's got quite a quite a significant holding in the company, something like 11 or 12%. Sorry, these figures are all a bit uh, rough because they're off, off the top of my head. So, um, yeah, it could be a, an interesting recovery one there, but doesn't look particularly compelling to me. What did Graham look at? He looked at AG Bar, which is the drinks company, uh, soft drinks company, and he also looked at, come on, scroll down, oh, Lindsell Train Investment Trust, LTI. Um, it was, he probably wouldn't normally have held that. What an unusual business model that is, but uh, looks potentially interesting, I think. I think that's everything for Monday, yep.
Quick comment on Vionet. This is Tuesday, sorry, now I've moved on to Vionet, V-N-E-T. This is the old Brew Lines business, beer flow monitoring with uh, a, a, a vending division as well that always seems to be promising great things and never really gets very far. Uh, interim figures to September came out. Looks OK. They're trying to show positive things in the in the, in the highlights. But a little bit of digging um, showed, revealed that actually it's still uh, cash flow negative. And it's capitalising two million a year into intangible assets, development spend. That's an awful lot for the size of business. Um, so I do think that puts quite a big question mark over the adjusted profit numbers, which um, seem to ignore amortisation. Uh, I looked at the, but I didn't like the balance sheet either. Both inventories and receivables look too high. So. Phew, and the cash position has worsened. So I'm not interested in, in Vionet. I don't think that one's worth pursuing. Now, I looked at Victorian Plumbing, VIC. I'm rather pleased with this one because I think it was in September or, or October we last covered it when it was about 38p and we gave it a thumbs up and said this thing's very cheap. Well, it's risen about 80% from those recent lows. So I looked at the interim figures um, again. Oh, sorry, sorry, full year figures, September 2022. Um, Considerably beaten revised forecasts, reduced forecasts, um, really excessive share option cost, great balance sheet with a big cash pile, so it's starting to pay dividends. So Victorian Plumbing, VIC, I still like it, but obviously now the shares are up 80% from the recent lows. I don't like it as much because we like bargains at the uh, and growth at reasonable price at the SCVL. So I, I've suggested on, on Tuesday it might be a time to, to top slice to lock in some of those recent gains. Not really such an obvious bargain anymore. Um, this is an interesting one. Um, the next one I re re reviewed on Tuesday, but I'm going to make it a mystery share for Stockopedia readers only. Sorry about that to free listeners on the Internet. Uh, now, Versarion, I looked at next VRS, which I'm afraid I've never liked. I always thought that thing was just a, a big ramp, really. And it's down 34%. Um, this follows on from my theme with Fulcrum. It needs to raise more money, and it's just not the time for these perpetually loss-making jam-tomorrow-type companies to be raising. It's it's had to discount the fundraise away to only 10 pence, and it's only raised 1.85 million. So, you know, this is a prime example of the type of thing you want to get out of before it has to do a fundraising, because it's always obvious that they're running out of cash. It just burns cash every year. I think it's absolute rubbish, this share, VRS. I looked at three companies on Tuesday. He did Mercia Asset Management, MERC, uh, Solid State, S-O-L-I, which has done very, very well over the last year or two for not an obvious candidate for a particularly good company, I wouldn't have thought, but the shares of it's trading well and the shares have held up and it's done some nice acquisitions. So um, uh, an unexpected winner there, I think, with Solid State. Sieta, ooh, what happened there? Sieta, S-E-D was the other one Graham looked at. On Wednesday, I've the first share I covered in that report, I'm also going to make a mystery share for Stockopedia subscribers only. It looks very interesting. The next thing I looked at is definitely not likely to be a mystery share anytime soon. That's Music Magpie, M-M-A-G. I think this thing's hopeless. It's running up debt. Um, why the bank are lending to it, I do not know, but they obviously believe in the business model. Um, to do uh, uh, higher contracts for mobile phones to consumers, now, it says trading in, is in line with expectations for year-ending 11 at 
2022. But but bear in mind that's basically for for break even. The expectations have have been slashed throughout the year. Uh, it's now got 8.2 million debt, which it says is better than expected out of a 30 million facility. It says record Black Friday sales, and it's talking up the prospects for this mobile phone rental offering. I just don't see a, a viable business model here. I could I could be wrong, but, you know, that's fine. It doesn't, you know, we're going to be right on some things wrong on others. I just don't know why you would want to take the risk on just hoping that this business model might work in future. Next, I looked at Moonpig, M-O-O-N, the well-known greeting cards company online. Now, we warned readers in September that we thought that Moonpig looked wobbly because it seems to have overpaid for a large debt fueled acquisition. So I looked at the uh, accounts of Moonpig that came out uh, this Wednesday, and that very, very much confirms my my hunch on this. The balance sheet is terrible. Now, okay, the business model it has, it doesn't really need much balance sheet strength, but it's enormously negative net tangible asset value. I think they've quite obviously made a disastrous mistake with this acquisition they, they paid. They're now heavily in debt, and it now is having to prioritise debt reduction. So I've just concluded on this that I think risk-reward at Moonpig looks very poor, and it looks very vulnerable to consume, consumer downturn. So I think they've They've potentially ruined ruined the company at the worst possible time with this with this ridiculous acquisition um, going into recession. So I don't know what they were thinking there, but I wouldn't go near Moonpig personally. Why take the risk when you don't have to? Next, I looked at Naked Wines. Now, this is a really interesting one. W-I-N-E. It's had all sorts of problems. We know that. Um, but some people... It's, it's, so the question is now, is this a turnaround or not? Now, the interim results are out. I think it is making some progress, but the problem remains. It's wildly excessive inventories, which have gone up hugely again. Now, the, the, the inventories of wine, it's now over 200 million. Bear in mind, that's a cost. And it's it tried to bury it in the uh, in the report, but it's taken an eight million pound inventories stock right down against. And of course, that get against the inventories, and of course, that gets adjusted out, doesn't it? So it makes it look as if it's profitable when actually it's not. Now, my my main worry on this, particularly with wine, you know, you don't necessarily know what the quality of the wine is until the bottle is opened. So how are the auditors going to check to see if the stock provisions are adequate or not? You know, there could be an absolute nightmare lurking in that in that inventory pile. I think whenever you have excessive inventories and excessive receivables. It, there's a high risk of big potential write downs against uh, those those excessive figures, which could con contain um, a multitude of sins. So I just I'm just saying I think that the risk is very elevated with naked wines. It's also uh, spending the customer's cash. It's now got a lot less cash on its balance sheet than the related deferred income creditor. You know, that cash, that customer cash should have been ring-fenced. Virgin Wines ring-fences it. Naked Wines doesn't. So anyway, I think this one's quite finely balanced. I think there are interesting bull arguments that it might be on its road to recovery. Certainly if it hits its revised uh, profit forecasts, then I think the shares could go usefully higher. Um, but there are considerable risks as well. So I think this one could go either way. So I'm I'm pretty neutral on it. I also looked at Ready Northgate, R-E-D-D. -D. It's a little bit above our normal market cap limit, but we've liked this share in the past. We've done well on it, me and the readers. Interim numbers look fine. Uh, it also pres uh, presents 
more conservative underlying numbers which strip out benefits from um, higher vehicle residual values. It does the uh, car hire, accident car hire service for a lot of insurance companies and also the Northgate business is a white van hire uh, business for um, rental vans in Spain and the UK. I think it's a really nice business actually. Um, Forecasts for next year are slightly lower to reflect uh, some of the accounting adjustments for used cars. The balance sheet's very, very good. Um, don't worry about the debt here because um, it owns 1.1 billion of, of vehicles, which is a lot more than the related debt. So I just ignore that debt. Price to tangible book value is only 1.26. Uh, forward PE of 7.9 and you get about a 6% dividend yield. These type of businesses never really command high valuations, but I think Ready Northgate looks good. Yeah, gets a thumbs up from me. After that, I looked at Quiz. Uh, good interim figures out. This one's very small. The ticker is quiz as well. Uh, and now it's moved back into profit. Really nice to see this turnaround here in a very tough space. But it's kind of value-ish type uh, fashion product, specialising in special occasion wear. Scottish-based company did a restructuring a couple of years ago. Um, so it's on very modest rents now, turnover rents for the remaining shops, but it's successfully selling online as well. So it made a 1.8 million profit on almost 50 million revenues, very good gross margin, excellent balance sheet with 9.2 million cash. Current trading, it says, was weak in October, better in November, and full year outlook at least in line with market expectations. This is a March 23 year end. I think Quiz looks very good, it's still cheap. So uh, yeah, that's a nice one there. Now Graham looked at SDI, um, which seems to have lost its luster, this one has. Uh, rather disappointed uh, reaction from the market to its interims. The thing that I uh, has really put me off SDI is the CEO uh, ditching his, I think, almost entirely in his entire shareholding. You know, the simple fact of the matter is, in my view, if... Um, if the company was going to perform really, really well, there's no way the CEO would be ditching his shareholding. So... Unless it's something like a divorce related, I don't know, but I just think that's a huge red flag. And Graham also looked at another company, which I'm also going to make a mystery share. So on Thursday, so um, that one's for Stockopedia subscribers only. Sorry, I might have got my days muddled up. That was Wednesday's report that I've just covered. So moving on to Thursdays, Graham did the early shift. He was up bright and early and he did S&U, a specialist uh, lending group, which we've always uh, quite liked at the SCVR. He also looked at Numis, um, which posted weak full-year numbers as expected, he said. Oh, and Red-centric. So then I followed up um, a couple of hours later with my sections. Uh, I looked at On the Beach, OTB. Now, although it put its numbers out, the shares dropped quite a bit, about 10 or 12%, I think. After I reviewed um, the numbers, I, th I I gave it a thumbs up. I think it actually looks quite good. And the interesting thing is, um, on Friday, I think it's Thursday and Friday, I think it, it subsequently bounced quite strongly. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, there seems to be a trend at the moment, actually, for shares that drop sharply on results do seem to quite often then stage uh, a nice recovery. So I think we're seeing opportunities at the moment for good quality businesses that are trading okay, where the initial negative re market reaction to results and trading updates quite often seems to be reversing. So I think that's 
something to bear in mind. You may uh, agree or disagree with this, but uh, there are definite opportunities now. I'm looking at intraday charts of things uh, on the daily movers thing, and quite often they do recover from the initial sell-off. Uh, Focusrite also reported Tune, T-U-N-A-N-E. Now, I, I do like this business. I think it's we were discussing it at an investor lunch I went to on Friday, and most of us agreed it's a good quality business, uh, uh, niche products and a real innovator in its space. And um, it produ- it's got a very good track record since it listed. <laughs> Excuse me. I always seem to hiccup once, don't I, these? Uh, anyway, the results for August 2022, I thought, looked pretty good. It's actually held on to most of the pandemic boom growth. I've been a bit sceptical about whether it would be able to hang on to that growth for so many other companies had a boom during the pandemic and then uh, lost all that growth. But, but, but Focusrite managed to ha- hold on to it. Now, the balance sheet's OK. Outlook comments seem OK. A uh, couple of accounting points that you might want to bear in mind. And I don't think these are deal breakers, but you, they're worth knowing and factoring in. Very heavy capitalisation of development costs. I think they've doubled that now to a really substantial number. Now, the profit also included a one-off foreign exchange boost, which went through finance income, which I think you should really adjust that out, actually, So, uh, which they didn't. Um, but they do say it's a one-off. So um, in valuing the company, I would knock up maybe something around 10% off of earnings per share to adjust out that finance income one-off gain. Uh, overall, I've concluded I think it's a good quality business, good pricing power. I think the shares are probably priced about all right, but in the past, it's achieved a very high premium, premium rating, which has since scrubbed off. I think it's on a P of about 15 or 16. Personally, I think that's about right, so I can't get madly excited about it. But to to just hold as, an, as a long-term quality share, I think you'll probably do all right. I also looked at Virtue Motors. As you know, VTU, we've been very positive on this as a value share at Stockopedia for a long time now because it's got such amazing asset backing with all these, it owns most of the freeholds to its sites. A lot of car dealers do, actually. Now, it's made a really big acquisition of Helston Garages. 117 million is uh, a large acquisition because Virtue's own market cap is 169 million, but it really turbocharges uh, the earnings. And interestingly, they're actually taking out commercial mortgages on some of their properties, which uh, is a very nice low risk way of funding expansion. Uh, the CEO, uh, uh, is, uh, is it Robert Forrester, I think? Yeah, very, very good switched on sort of chap I think and he indicated a while ago that he was looking at taking out some commercial mortgages on the properties to uh, he said basically a while back that you know they would either gobble up competitors or they would be gobbled up themselves and possibility that both might happen um, I think residual values on second-hand cars are starting to uh, not normalize but you know the, the boom in second-hand car prices seems to be beginning to ease and uh, but there's still supply chain uh, constraints on new vehicles due, due to semiconductors um i just hope they haven't overpaid for this acquisition i couldn't see any obvious sign that it's a bargain but it is heavily asset backed itself helston garages with lots of freeholds but you know if the founding family want to sell out now you do think to yourself they know the business best don't they um I don't know. They do talk about synergies, though. So if there are genuine cost synergies, then uh, that could make the deal make sense. But anyway, the market seemed to really like it. It's put a rocket under Virtue shares. So I think that's really good. A couple of um, crapos things in the style ITS. 
put out poor H1 results, it's loss making, it's overstocked like so many retailers, um, inventories have more than doubled. Uh, it's an absolute waste of time in the style. It's a sort of me too fast fashion business that never really got very far. The CEOs jump ship. It's still solvent, but um, they've basically said they're doing a strategic review, which pretty much said that being listed is a waste of time and money, which it is. There's no liquidity in these things because of the way the brokers floated them. I've been moaning about this for years. The way um, smaller caps, they just place big blocks of stock with institutions. It's normally the same institutions, the ones that happen to be flush with money at the time, probably because they were doing well in the in the boom and getting uh, fund inflows. So the result is then the things floated with hardly any free free uh, free float. It's all in just big institutional blocks. So surprise, surprise, there's no liquidity in the shares after they list. And if you then layer onto that, you know, very disappointing financial performance, all you've got is sellers. Basically, the institutions are trying to get out. There are no buyers. Uh, it's just a terrible way. I think the brokers who you know, uh, float shares on the UK market have killed the, the the new listings market because of the way they do it. They do it so badly. There's no liquidity in any of these things. So I think they've killed off the golden goose. And I think really the, the UK IPO market now just looks dead. I can't see, I can't see how it'll be revived anytime soon. And no sympathy, frankly, for the brokers concerned because they've killed it by floating a lot of overpriced junk and by floating it badly uh, by getting um, just placing all the stock with institutions in large blocks and not giving any thought to aftermarket liquidity. And there's no point in having a listing if you've got no aftermarket liquidity. That's the whole purpose of a listing, that you give the shares trade freely, which they don't. So big structural problem there that the, the, the investor, the, the broken community needs to give some serious thought to, you know, in the next boom, I hope they um, float things in a more intelligent way, really, rather than just grabbing the big fees for their bonuses. So uh, anyway, that's fairly critical. So Purple Bricks, P-U-R-P, H1 results, really awful, looks grim to me. But this, again, I don't know, though, it's under yet, yet another new CEO with another turnaround plan. Uh, it's claiming that um, the full year guidance is confirmed, but very, very wide range. EBITDA loss of between 4 million and a loss of 11.3 million. Uh, it's cutting costs. The cash pile is depleting fast, but it's got plenty for the time being. Um, <clears throat> so who knows? Um, Purple Brick's a possible turnaround, and that brand's got to be worth something, isn't it? So well known. You know, maybe an, a, a, an existing bigger bricks and mortars type um estate agent might end up buying it just for the brand as a sort of bolt-on and then stripping out a lot of the cost and linking it to their own network of branches maybe I don't know so but I'm at the moment I'm skeptical but I'll keep an eye on it I looked at Mears Group now Sam SCVB was the reader who I'm giving a, a shout out to on that who flagged it up in the comments and rather than saying oh I'm surprised you haven't looked at Mears but you've covered a load of other really rubbish companies you know which is what we normally the sort of stupid comments we get from people really winds me up because it demotivates the writers if you put comments up basically saying oh we think your work's shit and you're covering all the wrong companies how, how do you think it feels to be on the receiving end of that it really really irritates me graham's more 
Graham's more stoical about it. He just sort of gives me an eye roll emoji on our WhatsApp group. Well, I'll, I'll be seething into my cup of tea for about 10 or 15 minutes. But anyway, Sam SCVB demonstrated how to do it. He said, oh, Mears has put out a trading up today. It, it, today. It's really good. This is why I like it. Any chance you could cover it, lads? So I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So because he put something positive up, I'm, I thought, and teased me with some interesting... Um, uh, figures and facts. I, I did take a look at it. I have to say, I think Mears looks very good. So thank you to Sam for flagging that. Uh, I posted my comments actually in the reader comments and then just put a link to it in the main report. Basically, it's on a, now on a, on a high single digit PE. You get very nice dividend yield. It's got a good balance sheet and a positive trading update. So what more do you want? I think Mears looks very good. Okay, on Friday then, I was up really early. Oh, I did most of Friday's report the night before, actually, because I had to head into London on a train from Bournemouth, which takes a couple of hours, for a an investor Christmas lunch that Will, my friend William throws at Brooks's Club every year. And uh, it's quite a hot ticket. It's difficult to get onto the invite list, but uh, <laughs> it was great fun. It was just brilliant seeing a lot of old friends again. And uh, we had an absolute hoot and drank lots of beautiful vintage wines uh, and and had a lovely Christmas dinner. Lots of interesting chat about shares. So anyway, the night before, I, I covered most of the companies. I ended up covering 12 companies on Friday on my own, but I did a, a short sections format for all of them. So um, also I published the um, the weekly, the typed up version of the previous week's podcast, which was a bit late, but I think they're useful because it's then a, it's easy to search through the search filter on Stockopedia to find everything that's also been in the podcast. Um, now, I looked at CTA, CT Automotive, down 16% on a profit warning late on Thursday. I don't think this is any good. They're talking about now a thumping great loss of $11 million, cutting costs. It's got a bit of debt. debt. So I think that, I think this looks problematic. So I'd steer clear of CT Automotive. Crestchick, now LOAD. We were a bit late to the party on this one um, at the Small Gap Value Reports, but we did pick up on all the positive news flow, obviously. Uh, earlier this year, but uh, as I say, some other commentators, I think Simon Thompson, got onto it a lot earlier than we did, and some of the Stockopedia readers have been uh, discussing this one for a while uh, and sort of pointed us in the direction of it rather than the other way around. So thanks to them. Uh, it's got a bid from Agreco at uh, four four pound. Four pounds and a penny in cash. Now it's only a twelve percent premium. I think a lot of the Crestchick shareholders, and we had a good discussion in the reader comments about this. The general view seems to be that the bid is too low, cheekily low. But the way I look at it is, if management agreed it, and the biggest shareholder is Christopher Mills of Harwood Capital again, he seems to be cropping up in everything. Now if he's agreed it, I think he owns about a quarter of the company. His fund does. Then it's probably a quite a good exit price. Maybe it's not as valuable as the private investors seem to think it is. Maybe there's an element of one-off gains in the in the profits. I can't see that the institutions would have agreed at this bid and management unless it was fair. And as I think Tim R, one of our regulars, said, the last time he can remember a CVR reader's being up in arms about a low-ball takeover bid was with Revolution Bars, when the bid was about £2.06, I think, and the shares have since lost about 95 or 98% of their value. So it's often the case, I think, that these bids, um, you know, we think are cheeky, might actually be not bad. And it gives you a liquidity event. 
you know, and you could exit, take your cash, and then you've got a, a nice pile of cash to deploy in something else that's cheap. So, I, I don't know. I can see both points of view on Crosscheck. I looked at Treat, T-E-T. -E now, this confused one or two readers, so sorry about that. It was actually from results statement about 10 days ago. It was just, I went through my pad and looked at things I've missed. So I had a quick look at the results for September 2022. This is Treat, T-E-T. -E a very interesting company, but valuation looks toppy. It's on about 33 times. The, the key question is how much is this new factory it's built going to boost production? It's doubling capacity. So if it, if it, if it gets the orders to, to to take on board that capacity, this could be transformational for the company. So I think it looks very interesting. Potential, not an obvious bargain at all, but it could it could uh, it could show quite rapid growth. Now the the, the forecasts uh, don't look very exciting at all. They show barely any growth. So why did they build a new factory in double capacity if they're not going to achieve any growth? So. Um, I think maybe we have to just ignore these forecasts and make the assumption that yes, they'll they'll grow strongly, and profits could go could go up on higher margins. So I think it it still looks overvalued on the current forecast, but I think shareholders are probably hoping that it'll smash the forecasts. Uh, TET treat that one is potentially interesting. I think D four T four also reported interim results. Uh, I looked; those were on the thirtieth of November. Not very good figures. I was chatting to this one uh, to one of its bigger investors at um, bigger private investors at the the, the Christmas lunch actually, uh, and we both agreed it's potentially it's got really good potential. D four T four has, but it never quite seems to achieve escape velocity. And if it does, you could have a, a serious riser on your hands, I think. And it also does have a problem with its year-end date, and it always gives a soft first half, and all its big contract wins happen just before the year-end, which uh, makes the whole thing nail-biting. And as one shareholder said, why don't they just reverse the year-end so, so that the bumper profits come in H1? And that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Anyway, it says it's trading in line for the full year, which is 4.2 million adjusted profit for before tax. 95 million market cap, not a bargain, but it's got tremendous potential, I think. And the balance sheet's great with 26 million in cash. Uh, very tricky to value D44, but I think it's potentially interesting. K3 Capital, another share that's popular amongst the readers, uh, has had a bid approach at £3.50. Again, only a very modest premium of 17%. Um, we sell. Well, I am worried that we, you know, a lot of decent companies now are being bid for, and we're just going to be left with a dross. Uh, now, looking at loungers again, this was um, put out results for for a twenty four week period. Why do that? Why surely a half year is twenty six weeks? I don't know why they do that, but they do. Anyway, the figures look disappointing to me. Only two point eight million profit on revenue revenues of one hundred and twenty two million. Um, the prior year comparative was boosted by reduced VAT and business rates relief. Balance sheet, not much asset backing there at all. Only 25 million net tangible asset value. I do think Loungers is probably the best in class operator. But the trouble is it's operating in a sector that's so hideous. Bars and cafes and the hospitality sector is just bearing the brunt of ever increasing costs. And of course, a high proportion of their costs are staff wages, which are going up, what, 9, 10%. Each year, um, at the lower level, because minimum they keep uh, boosting minimum wage substantially, don't they? Uh, I looked at loungers in more detail in October and just concluded I think, well, yes, it's a well managed business, 
the shares I just oh, I can't see why you'd pay such a high premium for the shares in such a horrible sector so I'm not keen on loungers on valuation grounds I also looked at Robinson very interesting they've done a buy-in of the pension deficit again to LNG which was the same as we saw with TT Electronics TTG um, so pension schemes that are, that are in accounting surpluses do seem to now being uh, capable of being hived off completely. So that's very interesting, isn't it? I, st I don't think that would apply to pension schemes with big deficits, though. So I, d I, don't, I don't think we can take our eye off the ball on, on pension schemes completely. Um, but that's certainly an interesting development at Robinson. I also saw uh, um, an inline trading update from Afirian, ticker AFRN. <coughs> Nothing particularly exciting there, I'm afraid. Uh, forecasts have been halved over the last year so then saying yes we're trading in line with that is not in itself a particularly good outcome it just means that things haven't got any worse forward p is about 13 i just which looks okay i just don't know, really understand the business model at ethereum so all the sector so i don't know how to value it um now pendragon i think that was the biggest fall on friday ticker pdg now they announced that this um potential bidder called head in mobility sounds like a german company i think uh says it, it's not going to proceed with the 29p bid which wasn't a formal bid actually it was just uh you know uh, one of these conditional indications that a bid might be coming um, and the reason given by the potential bidder, the aborted bidder rather, is that challenging market dish conditions and uncertain economic outlook. Now, Pendragon shares drop from 29p, I think, down to about 21p by close of place. So that's a hell of a drop. I, I was surprised the market had taken the bid as seriously as it did, because it didn't look a particularly firm sort of bid. But anyway, there we are. Um, there was also a trading update in with that saying that the economic backdrop remains challenging but the board expects it to deliver uh, underlying trading in line with expectations so that's not too bad now we also looked at Barclay Group a mid-cap house builder solid uh, robust H1 results um, flat against last year but they've and full year guidance for april 2023 was unchanged at 600 million profit but guidance for the next two years uh it's reduced from 1.25 billion to 1.05 billion so that's a 200 million pound 100 million per year cut to uh the outlook profits well i mean nobody should be expecting house builders to continue making the, the huge profits they've made in recent years uh so this isn't really a great surprise the share price that i'd noticed at barclay group has been very very uh strong compared with its sector peers many of which have really crashed in share price uh it says it's got good order book visibility strong balance sheet and net cash um, oh, another point I flagged up is that large house builders are effectively being hit with a corporation tax surcharge of an additional 4%. This is called Residential Property Developers Tax, RPDT. That's kicking in quite soon. Plus, you've got cladding remediation costs. There's also something called the Building Safety Levy. So it looks like the government is really um, using house builders as a bit of a cash cow for tax raising revenues, which um, is a bit of a worry. Uh, Barclays done a lot of big share buybacks as well, so the share count has fallen a lot. We also had a very nice update from Porver, PRV. Uh, now, I've always thought this looked so overpriced, but for the first time in years, I concluded 
um, that this actually is, is now looking good. The valuation looks reasonable, a very nice update ahead of expectations. Also, it's had a boost from foreign exchange within that. Nice net cash of 18 million. I think this one's maybe now a buying opportunity, Paul, there, because its products are driven really by regulatory uh, issues. It's, it's, it's uh, specialist filtration equipment. There, A lot of them are repeat purchases. I like the business, but I've always thought it's too expensive. It's actually now looking quite reasonably priced. I think at about five pounds seventy, and it's trading well. So poor there might might be worth a look. There was a profit warning from Procook, P R O C. Uh, I mean, profits have basically collapsed, and it's now saying it's only going to break even. So I can't see any attraction there unless they're able to rebuild profits, in which case it might be worth a look maybe uh, next year. But um, balance sheet's okay, so I don't think it's going bust. Finally, I had a look at Associated British Foods. It's a large cap, ABF, but it owns Primark, so I think it's interesting to always look at what they say for... Uh, for that um, discount clothing side of the business, um, Behemoth. And it says uh, encouraging current trading at, at Primark, which again confirms this continuing theme we're seeing of mid-market um, fashion retail is really struggling, but the, but the value end at the bottom end of retail generally, they're, they're doing well. Pretty much as you'd expect, isn't it, in a consumer downturn? When consumers are squeezed, they trade down or they carry on spending for, for, for cheap items. So Primark's doing pretty well, but it also talked about significant input cost inflation. There's nothing much to report really on the macro side. Um, the main indices seem to have peaked and, and, are, and, are, and are coming back down again now. I think the, 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 the really massive recovery we've had in October and November has perplexed me a bit. I think given that earnings are now under so much pressure and we're seeing so many profit warnings still, I think um, I'm not confident that this uh, the, that these big rallies are necessarily going to going to hold. But uh, we'll see. I think it's a bit like I hope it's not tasteless to compare it like this, but it feels like we're still going through a landmark um, a, a minefield where you know we know there are there are there are more mines in front of us but we don't know where they are but we can see that we're, we're we're probably not that far away from the end of the of the minefield terrible analogy i should have worked out something better shouldn't i so the, the, the trouble is now you know so many things have bounced but if they haven't put out a trading update confirming that they're trading okay i think those things are, are, are very vulnerable as we've seen this week quite a few things that have bounced strongly in the last couple of months, then put out a horrible trading update, and they uh, and they give it all back. An obvious one is Moonpick, and there's plenty of others. So I think the thing for me, if I'm going to buy something, I want a bang up to date trading update, and I'm not prepared to buy into these bounces and just assume that we've had the bottom of the, the momentum is now turning positive and following the chart, and oh, it's crossed over the 50-day moving average and whatever. If you haven't got, uh, and there's you know there's merit to those strategies. I'm not rubbishing those strategies. But I'm just saying for me. Me, I would want to have fundamentals confirmation from a positive trading update, or at least an okay trading update, bang up to date to say that yes, actually we're over the worst, or you know that things are not too bad. I think if you get both, if you get your your nice your nice bottoming out chart and your positive trading update, I think that's that's the way to play it right now because then you're not likely to um, get blown up by a profit warning. That's really my concluding thought for today, so I'll leave it there. Thank you for listening. And I had a lot of nice feedback on Friday from listeners who say they enjoy these podcasts, so I'll keep doing them. And thank you for tuning in. Bye.